0: Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: Carve, carve, which is, of course, Latin for Achtung, Achtung. That's right. Or KV, KV for um, poor boys in preparatory schools still in their shorts. Thanks to Tim Johnson for offering us a dead language for consideration. Bravo. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the podcast in the front line of the world's response to the coronavirus. That's right. We are the COVID 19 uh, boredom crew. We are here to alleviate those longers that occur between breakfast and when you would have got to work, when you're just basically walking across a room as your daily commute. Anyway, we've metaphorically heard ourselves out of the plane over the burning bridge that is modern society, while other history podcasts are dithering over the Peak Heights. We have ways of making you talk is fighting for the bridge at Nijmegen on day one holding on against the virus equivalent of the 9th SS Panzer Division. So, for what, it's what, It's under-equipped, it's been written down, and doesn't actually have the equipment people seem to think it does? For the past nine days, we've been badgering you, morning, noon and night. Nine days, that's how long it took to wipe out the British 1st Airborne Division at Arnhem. Are we defeated? No, we are not. We've established our own beachhead on the podcasting equivalent of the north side of the Nader Rhine And no, we will not swim back across the river in the dead of night. We're here to stay, ladies and gentlemen. Um... Why am I going on and on about this? Well, many of you, of course, have been listening to Zeno's magnificent novel, The Cauldron. I've finished it. It's all in the can, as we say in show business. I've got to tell you, it gets grimmer and grimmer for the Pathfinder company day by day. Um, So I hope you're enjoying it. It's great to read. It's nice to read a novel that actually reads out loud well. James, what are you up to? Sicily, I expect?
1: Yeah, yeah. Cracking on with that. Um, And uh, actually, I've just been doing the epic battle of the Primasoli Bridge, which also involved airborne Ah, troops having a really, really rubbish time.
0: Alistair Pearson.
1: Yeah. The great Alistair Pearson. Yeah, well, he's one of my characters in the book. So, yeah, following him. Uh, and what a shower that was. And just it's just horrendous. Because, of course, it's absolutely baking hot. Um, yeah. You, you know, there's mozzies galore. There's flies and maggots yep. galore. Everyone's dying. And the moment they die, they start swelling up and going black in the heat. Now,
0: am I, am I right the in thinking? The stench is but...
1: terrible. And, and it's absolutely brutal. And it's close-quarter stuff. And, and lots of people are dying.
0: Now, people don't... P- P- Primissoli Bridge isn't what sort a of, sort of... It's one of the one of the airborne battles, I don't think he's on people's radar necessarily. Yeah. It's fa- basically, they're sent in to hold a bridge... Right, stop me if you've heard this one before. They're parachuted in to hold a, hold a bridge with an overamp with with a dropping a drop zone scheme that doesn't really make any sense when you look at where the bridges and where the drop zones are. Stop, stop, me if you've heard this one before. With Gerald Gerald Lathbury hering around and ending up in the wrong place. Look, forgive me if this sounds familiar. And then, and then, and then the land, and then Montgomery's land forces being late. I mean... It's, it's just amazing. OK,
1: so first of all, you have the you have the glider plan on D-Day, uh, where they go yeah. in and have to attack the Ponte Grande, and it's just an absolute shower. So out of 144 gliders, which are supposed to take off, four yep. land on their designating landing zone. Four out of 144.
0: Not the greatest It's a success. wonder weapon. It's a wonder weapon, James, I tell <laughs> okay, you. The so glider that's is that a, one. Okay. A game-changing wonder weapon.
1: Meanwhile, the SRS, led by Paddy Main... Uh, um, you know renamed from 1SAS temporarily they go back to uh, to 1SAS again they come in by boat they have one person killed and three wounded in three days of operations and they do Mm -hmm. achieve absolutely everything that they're supposed to achieve just like that Later on, there's, a, there's another bridge at Augusta, which is just up the road from Syracuse that they're supposed to attack, and that get cancelled. Yep. And then the next one is the Primisoli Bridge. And there's another bridge called the Malati Bridge. So the Primisoli yep. Bridge is, is the key one because three roads running north all converge at this point and get across the, the, the Catania Plain. The thing about the Catania Plain is there's three river courses going through yep. it and they all merge just before the Primisoli Bridge into one river, the River Sumeto. So this yep. is why it's so key. So the whole idea is to send in the guys before, and then the the infantry and armour come up before. And of course, they're just a little bit late, and all the rest of it. And unbeknownst to them, it would, been, it would have been absolutely fine had it not been for the fact that the first
0: good division start yeah. being dropped in at the same time. Yes. Yeah, so so this is one of the this is. A moment where you have simultaneous airborne operations going on. Yes. Uh, But uh, the the British and the Germans are dropping paratroopers in. Yeah. uh, And so it's a complete, a complete cat's cradle of confusion. Yes.
1: And of course, uh, and and as it gets dark, what you've got is the the Falsham Jäger lid and the British airborne lid look exactly the same certainly in the darkness. They've yep. both got smocks on. You know, yep. British a slightly shorter one than the Germans' yep. ones. So they all look... So no one knows who he sees. So they're all firing at each other. But there is another bridge which has to be attacked, which is which is a bit further south from the Primocily Bridge, which is the Malati Bridge, which mm. is attacked by the Commando. It's not the mm. free Commando. Um, but um, And led by the same guy who has been one of the main guys in the Diet Raid and got back. And uh, um, Dernford Slater. And they yep. they land by boat, march six miles, take the bridge, hold it all day um, and do get sort of counterattack quite badly and take, take a few casualties. But again, it is all their forces reach their objective. Whereas out of 1,836, only 200 live at uh, Primersodi Bridge.
0: Are hey, you. Are you saying that maybe airborne forces are um, a a waste of resources and possibly (laughs) not the right way to go about this sort of thing, James?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I am suggesting is that it might have solved a whole load of bother if they hadn't bothered dropping them out of airplanes and just delivered them by boat in Sicily.
0: So so what you are saying here... (laughs) I mean, it's because because after all um airborne forces are just dis- they're, they're doctrinally created because they because they create this thing in reaction to the Germans using in, exactly uh, and, gl- and glider troops in and Luftwaffe soldiers basically in, in may of 1940 that oh we've got to have some paratroopers and then they think well what do we do and they develop doctrinally as as to protect your flanks for a marine landing for an amphibious landing that's what they end up yeah. doing and you know D- D-Day is where they do it six airborne is created for that task for that role doctrinally trained and planned and all that sort of thing and they practice and they rehearse and then they do the things that they go they're planning to do but it's but it, i mean it's pretty interesting isn't it because because in in Italy it really doesn't work it doesn't work it doesn't work it doesn't work, at, it doesn't work at all no and um you could really you could see someone saying you know what we need to sack this off it's a it's pointless it doesn't it yeah
1: doesn't... and also how Al, you've got you've got all these amazingly trained motivated troops yeah, 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 yeah. who are completely yeah, yeah. gung-ho and go okay let, let's let's just look at this we've got these fantastic troops they're brilliant let, let's use them but let's use them a little bit more judiciously let's have a look at what the srs did and what the commandos did in sicily yeah that's a massive tick whichever way you look at it maybe yeah. this whole kind of airborne bit is the bit that doesn't really work and, and you know that's the problem it's it's that it's that square peg round hole that they never
0: really sort out, that you've got the best trained troops being delivered by the least trained aircrew. And then you've got an ongoing problem of um, the fact that you've got all these motivated soldiers leaving regular units. So if you're you're the DLI or whatever, you know, and and your your good NCOs sign up to be paratroopers or airborne soldiers and leave, you're you're basically... basically, The the, the knock-on effect runs across the whole the whole of the army's infrastructure actually by creating these elite forces and if you're basically not I mean I mean the, the really interesting thing is is this constant and, and certainly until until early 1944 this this constant turn fro with the REF going no you can't have any planes yeah. no we're not yeah. giving you any planes no sorry we don't rate this as a, a, a as a priority at all all right you can have some obsolete bombers so what we don't care that they're lousy parachute yeah. aircraft you know <clears> and, <throat> and, and and Harris obviously going. Harris saying, Well, there's a, we've only got one job, thanks very much, and that's destroying German cities and killing the man who makes the rifle, which is more important than the the, bloke so with the rifle. The rifle when it gets there,
1: yeah.
0: You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Right, so, so you have this very odd thing. And you, I mean, arguably, you look at what happens in Sicily in 1944. Uh, in 1943, rather, you could you could sack off airborne forces after after that. And go, you know what? This doesn't work. We're wasting time. We're wasting money. We're wasting aircrew. We're wasting resources. Yeah. But it, it, it kind of it kind of shows. I mean, we've airborne forces is how I got interested in in the Second World War. Full stop. Because of my father. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, taking me to Arnhem. And uh, brainwashing me when I was fifteen about about the, the glorious uh, last stand, blah blah blah. But the, but but the interesting thing is, is there is this push me pully. But it shows actually how successful Browning was as a networker, as a schmoozer, as a as a p- political soldier, like managing to get Brooks' ear and managing to, and Churchill's ear probably most likely and managing to get the money spent and the aircraft diverted. Because after Sicily, you you'd be within your rights to go. You know what? Forget it. You know, we're better yeah. off. We're better off landing a load of commandos at night, and they and they leg it to to um, to Pegasus Bridge.
1: Well, I think there's some, I think there's some re- a really interesting thoughts there. And, and one of them is that the follow up brigade that comes to relieve the um the the at uh, the red berets at, at Primasoli Bridge, is the Durham Brigade, and we were talking yes, about the Durham's yeah. the other day. So yeah. three battalions of Durham's, the sixth, eighth, and ninth, and they get thrown in and they get absolutely slaughtered. I mean, you know, they do yeah. they perform amazingly. They perform really, really well, and win the day. They win it from who experienced Fausthamjäger, who've been on the Eastern Front. So they're not up against second-tier Germans. These are your elites that everyone always goes on about. Your highly motivated elites. And And they win that battle. Now, okay, they're supported by fire support as well, but they're still having to do the hard yards and they perform every bit as well as the Red Berries do and one of the reasons they do is because they've got unit cohesion because they, yeah. they 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 know their platoon commanders and their section leaders and their company commanders. They're operating as one. They've been together, they've trained together, they've fought together and so the problem with the airborne drop, because only 200 only sort of 16% of those dropped actually yeah. fight in the airborne brigade, actually fight at Primasoli Bridge you have lots of troops which are cobbled together now to a certain extent they're um their training and their ability to use their initiative and all the rest of it makes up for it but what you don't have is lots of um of of airborne units fighting in the units of which they have trained and designed to to operate yeah
0: yeah but 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 also i mean a thing urquhart writes about in his book about um about arnhem is he says one of the disadvantages you have with airborne soldiers is that you're suddenly in a battlefield what what doesn't happen is you come up through the lines and you get closer, and then you're rotated and all that and all that sort of standard stuff that that regular soldiers, regular um, line infantry, because they're you know they, they, let's face it, they're essentially the, the sharp end is the infantry part of the yeah. It's basically the, one of your problems is is people are suddenly plonked in a battlefield, and they and they they've not been acclimatized and and he he regarded that as a, re, a, a real proper problem. Um, yeah. With 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 um, first airborne when when it was under his command and so you've so what you've got is you've I mean to, to, which underlines your point you've got disintegrated units essentially yes that that are the, because the mode of delivery is so unreliable yeah and haphazard necessarily right and and of course. In in Normandy, that gets turned into well, you know, uh, the 101st and 82nd cause such chaos by landing in all over the place that the chaos was a virtue in itself. Is is, is how yeah. that gets how that gets sort of digested. But but basically, you've, you've got these units that train together and they're like you say, are disintegrated, but also plonked in a battlefield suddenly, rather than this thing of being brought through the line like uh, conventional troops. And so yeah. you, you know. And this isn't, and again, this isn't, to, this isn't to criticise anyone. This is, this is the the, the c- complexity of delivering men out of nowhere, um, in, into a battlefield, rather than, rather than, like you say, the Durham's who fought together, trained together, extremely experienced and hard nosed uh, infantry brigade that, yep. and uh, with all sorts of, with, with, with well, like you say, cohesion. Although, if I remember rightly, it's Pearson leads the bayonet charge at Primasole. Um, to finally kick the Germans off the bridge again, doesn't he? Am I right? No,
1: thinking? no, he doesn't. No, it's um, I read it's a... that
0: I read that he no. did but I probably read that in an airborne history book.
1: <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. But he 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 performs brilliantly there. He's really, really good. I mean it's a, it's an yeah. amazing. I mean there's fantastic descriptions of kind of you know slipping down into the river Sumeto to ford it just a little you know, a couple of you know, yeah. four hundred yards away from the bridge and it's night time and it's dark, and they come in at sort of infiltration and, and, and all they can hear is the kind of sort of the, the, the croaking of the of the the frogs in the bulrushes and, yeah. it, and, and, and hear the the mosquitoes dive bombing them in their ears and stuff, yeah. and they 're slipping across yeah. and they can smell this absolutely appalling stench of of rotting bodies mingled with with kind of sort of lemons and oranges uh, and cordite yeah. and all the rest of it. i mean it 's incredibly atmospheric. But it is interesting. This whole, you know, because what you do have is this incredible force. You know, in in a in a cons within a conscript army, you've got a yeah. number of troops. Whether they be the SAS, whether they be the Rangers, um, whether they be the Commandos, whether they be um, US and American and British and, and Canadian airborne forces, you've got these troops who are gung ho, who are really trained, who want to be good, want to be the best, who are highly motivated. That you could just Ooh. use better I mean just this, for example this I mean I played devil's advocate here, but in Normandy, just imagine you landed a whole load of airborne troops north of Utah Beach on a quiet section of the coast which you know is there are quiet sections there and you just send them on a route march straight to their objectives they're all together yeah you know they, yeah. could, they could take that, that'd be no problem at all marching 10, 10 miles at night if you know where you're going isn't the problem yeah the, prob- the problem comes if you don't yeah. know where you are in your start point. The problem, of yeah. course, is that they don't have enough shipping. But if you're building fewer, if you're creating fewer transport aircraft, you could then maybe divert some of that industry and effort that you're making C 47s to making more landing craft. I don't know. But I mean, mm. it, it is interesting, isn't it, that no one at any point goes exactly what does exactly what you're suggesting, which is go, hang on a minute here. We've got these great lads. Let's let's keep the, the highly motivated troop elite bit. But let's kind of yes, but, chuck but in I the towel when, with the with drop bit.
0: But I remember in the late 70s when my dad's um, uh, airborne sapper unit was turned into commandos and he had to take his red ber- beret off and was told he was going to have to wear a green one. <laughs> Just imagine how that went. Well so they, can had, wear that. they could still wear a red one.
1: They still wear a red one, but they could just be a different elite force, couldn't they? You have that you've got yeah, the commander no, but, re- but it's really, really I mean, really.
0: it's really, it's really really interesting all this because because the the state of the state of the, the, I mean, the state uh, of about, state of the state of the state of the state of the state a the state of the state of the state of you state of the state of you state not know, You a of not of the of you of company of infantry onto it. You know, we the not got the people. Yeah. So, so what you'd probably do is it would be four blokes who would who would halo in or whatever and and shoot everyone at the cut everyone at the bridge's throats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you do it that way. You do it because there aren't the people and you don't sp- you don't spend four helicopters on it, which is what the equivalent would be. Yeah. You know, because uh, after all, the, the that's what replaces the glider is the yep. is the is the helicopter. Yeah, of course. It's so interesting, though. I mean, because the glamour of the airborne must be a big part of why they survived as a as a a tactical solution.
1: But also because of the because of the 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 ear they've got at the highest corridor. You know, the highest. highest Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. But I've
1: been. So, just to to change, I've also um, with the Sicily stuff. I've been. Um, re-reading my Ernie Pyle, who you may know that I'm a big fan yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. And you may also uh, remember, Al, that I uh, I like to talk about the operational level once in a blue moon.
0: Yes. <laughs> drink. Okay. Well, if you're playing the game, this. drink now. Check
1: this. OK, <laughs> so this is, this, is a, this is a few days after, this is some days after D-Day. He's on the American sector. Yep. He comes ashore at Licata, which is a port, mm. a small, very small port on the southern coast of Sicily. And yeah. um, and he's just marvelling at the kind of, you know, one minute the sea is empty, he goes into his cabin, comes back out yeah. again, it's completely black with ships and, you know, huge freighters yeah. have arrived and, and, and um, yeah. uh, landing craft are beetling around, taking, you know, pontoons have already been, steel pontoons have been set up on the beach. The whole thing is just running yeah. like clockwork. Yeah. Um, and And, it, and I've yeah. just got to read this because it's just absolutely brilliant. He goes, Sometimes it seemed as if half the men of America were there, all working madly together, Suddenly I realised what all this was. It was America's long-awaited power of production finally rolling into the far places where it had to go to end the war. It sounds trite when it's put into words, but the might of material can overwhelm everything before it. We saw that in the last days of Tunisia. We saw it again there in Sicily. The point was... That we on the scene knew for sure that we could substitute machines for lives, and that if we could plague and smother the enemy with an unbearable weight of machinery in the months to follow, hundreds of thousands of our young men, whose expectancy of survival would otherwise have been small, could someday walk again through their own front doors. There you go.
0: There you go. The machine. I looked at that and I was very happy. metal not flesh steel not flesh yeah very strong steel not flesh well we well we need on that rousing um, pain to uh, (laughs) material predominance in the on the operational level um, we need to take a break (laughs) Um, uh, by the way we're one year old this week on this podcast aren't we we're one year old amazing exciting thing We'll, we'll take a break we'll see you after the break with some of your questions I think Welcome back to this edition of We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the Second World War podcast with me, Al Murray, and uh, actual historian James Holland. Um, uh, James and I were talking about Sicily then because we were supposed to talk about something else. That's how this podcast works. <laughs> <laughs> we went completely off no. what we were supposed to, do, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to have to go back to some of those books about um, airborne at Sicily because it's... it's. it's well, you're going to be able to read scene. Well, of course I am. Of course I can be in a really useful but I, but I have also found the first book I was at first history book. My daddy, I told you I was brainwashed yeah. about airborne forces. So I found this first book I was ever given by a man called Barry Gregory, um, British Airborne Troops, a MacDonald Illustrated War Studies book.
1: Yeah, it just looks amazing. It,
0: uh, my my nickname when I was a kid was Buzz. So it says "To Buzz with lots of love from Dad," and uh, it's a guy who was in the Artists Rifles, actually. Funny enough, that wrote this. Um, just show the cover again. I love that cover. It's full of it's full of. Um,
1: oh, I've just got to get it's that. full
0: of full of maps and and a sort of matter of fact gritty tales and that there's some really interesting photos of the you know mock-ups of Whitleys in hangars and discussion of how they how they developed the all the early parachuting techniques when they wore that sort of donut instead of a helmet. Anyway, um, I've got it.
1: I've got it. Here it we is have, on Amazon. Hard cover from two pounds oh,
0: Currently unavailable. What? Uh, Ah, I have the only copy in the country. No, you haven't. <laughs> I've got it.
1: I've, I bought it from... Oh, bald.
0: <laughs> hey, got it. Done. It's great fun. I won't anyway. get it until
1: April the 25th, but, you know.
0: I oh, know. We're not getting anything till April the 25th. Right, no, so... Exactly. Um, uh, before we go any further, can I just thank you all for sticking with us through the first year of our campaign. Um, we're one year old this week. And also, welcome to all the new listeners, because um, I did some blatant uh, plugging on the one show last <laughs> week. And uh, our producer described me as podcast Viagra. Um, the the curve went boink, like that, up it went. Um, <laughs> so welcome, everyone who's not been who's not listened before. Um, there's a year of this baloney, so if you want to work your way back through it... Um, uh, you will be most it, welcome, uh, wouldn't you? It's all... F- it's tinned and it's fresh, and it's there waiting for you to delve into. Um, thanks for all your messages and questions and corrections and general fascination with the subject we both love. I have to say, there's one contributor on Twitter, a guy calls, who calls himself Ernest Malley, who's, who's brilliant. always he? sending us Australian stuff, and it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and it, and he really he really knows his onions, and he's and he's got a p- picture p- of Port world, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was, he had that really interesting footage of. Um, a two-pounder being used in, you know, obsolete two-pounder being used in 1945 in, this, in the jungle, where the Australian militia troops had figured out what they needed to do was fire at the trees and shatter the trees. And that was the way of getting the Japanese out of their positions because well, the trees would explode. And I mean, ugh. Good
1: stuff, though. But, but we've, when we've we love got, that kind of contribution. We do, um, and I, it just reminds me that. Okay, so so I've, I've just got to say this. I know uh, I'm going off piece again, but yeah. a, a few years ago, um, Dan Snow and I were sort of thinking. You know, we get asked a lot to do um, interviews and stuff with people. You know, just, you know, just the best one in the world. Yeah. You just can't sort of drop of a hat, go up to kind of airshare no. or something. So we set up this no. thing called called War Gen, War Generation, yeah, to get volunteers to. If you knew of a of a Second World War veteran go and interview him and put up sort of guidelines and all the rest of it. And it all needs a bit of help. And it's basically been steered by this amazing guy called Shane Greer, who's just the loveliest bloke. And he's up in Scotland, somewhere near Inverness. Uh, And he sort of coordinates it all. And I really think we we should try and sort of Get that a bit better organised, and try and create well, a hub
0: well, for stuff, for photos. Well, for... why don't we, why don't we, why don't we talk to him, and we will get him on here and talk to him about it as well? Because um, yeah, because we've, uh, we've got one they've thing... got some
1: amazing interviews now. I mean, it's a, if yeah. people haven't seen it. You Brilliant. should have a look at it. It's called WarGen yeah. I think. Um, yeah. And there's loads of interviews up there, and and they're fantastic, and it's such a good resource, Brilliant. and it just
0: needs organising. Brilliant. Excellent. Right. Now, we have questions, a ton of questions by email for the elderly and uh, Twitter this week. Um, uh, So um, what shall I ask a question, James? Let me ask you a question that was sent to us by Porte en Bessin 47, who asks, did German special forces raid the mainland of Britain at all? There is a rumour some Brandenburgers got onto the Isle of Wight. Have either of you ever investigated or can you shed any light? I reckon this is a one word answer.
1: Uh, no. There we are. I don't think they got onto the Isle of white. Well, it's not quite a one-word answer because the, some some um, some forces did land in East Anglia somewhere and they got arrested immediately. I mean, the amazing thing about, about German infiltration of Britain is that not one
0: agent ever successfully did so. Yeah, Well, there's the guy who was the last treason trial, wasn't it, the, in the Tower of London, who yeah. um, was the German yeah. agent who basically landed and then walked into a pub and tried to make a phone call... And they're all like, well, he's, he sounds German, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Please, can you put me through to Berlin 2 3 four, <laughs> I have to speak to my controller, <laughs> <laughs> my commandant. <laughs> and it just sort of didn't quite
0: work. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it, it basically, Porto Bessau 47, no. No. James says no. I mean, it would be interesting to. Because people always talk about, but they always talk about sort of, you know, and he spoke with flawless English. And you go, no, he didn't. He was German. It's just not possible. <laughs> Okay. So um, GHFS asks, the podcast, well, first of all, states, the podcast is truly brilliant, chaps. Well, uh, yeah. Well, oh, look, I mean, you. you know, what can you do? We're just trying here. Um, I was wondering, was there a system for naming all the different operations during the war? Rather like we named Storms today, or was it down to personal choice?
1: Hmm. I think they there had was a sort a, of book, didn't they? They had a sort of yeah. booklet of, of of names, and and they decided to go for fish, didn't they, for for yeah. the British beaches in Normandy, for example. But yeah. and so, uh, but they but Churchill vetoed jelly. He yeah. said, "I'm not going to have anyone losing their life on a beach called Jelly." Yeah. So they changed yeah. it to Juno.
0: Bomber Command tended to give their operations sort of portentous names. So you have. Um you know Gomorrah in, yep. in hamburg you know that you yeah. and sometimes they have a f- they have a flavor but it's the flavor of the of the book rather than there was a book and they would just they would just churn through them and at one point in normandy it looked like whoever was um, doing second army groups planning or second army's planning was was really into uh, race courses so you get epsom yes. charmwood goodwood you yeah. know and so on i mean it but but but, there's but then the is ruined
1: by then the ruin is the pattern is ruined by um by blue coat, yeah. I mean, that's not a race course, is it? No, and well, they must well, have totalize. started again and,
0: and totalized a black cock. And I mean, I'm into. I, I'm reading about um, uh, a verit- veritable and um, and uh, which leads up to varsity. So it looks like they're on the V's by that point. You know, you mm. you you've got the, the the last series of battles before they cross the Rhine. I've all got these yeah. fucking grenade and there's grenade as well. An operation Gatwick. Mm was, was Mont- Montgomery's yep. scheme, post-Market Garden scheme, that eventually he kind of actually did run through via yep. Varsity and Veritable and Blackcock and all that. But, but yeah, they're just, they're just picked out of a hat, basically. There was a book. I mean, there
1: are so many names. And there's so many... You know, everything gets an operational name. Um yeah. uh, And, of course, lots of them are, are very, very small things, which... Disappear and you kind of don't know. You never hear yeah. anything more about. And some of them get changed, of course, because it was Anvil, which was the invasion of Southern France, and then it became yeah. Dragoon. Yeah. Um. And uh. And and Dracula, yeah, which is and the which and, is the
0: invasion and, and of Rangoon, wasn't it? Uh. The, 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 yes. 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 Indeed. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But they're just
0: um, it's just a book.
1: A Market Garden, of course, which is two words. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, there's that's two mark, elements. There's two elements: is market and garden. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. it's basically out of a book. But that's a good question because they you know, these operation names that they, they become famous. Some of them, and yet they are, they are. It's not like Operation Desert Storm, Operation Righteous Freedom, or any of that kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, I think wasn't it wasn't Desert Storm in the British Army called Granby or something like? No, we're, yeah, not, calling that. we're not calling and it, it that, thanks. And then Telic as well. You're like, no, we're not calling it. we not Telic calling and it Herrick. Yeah, yeah, we're not calling um, it. resounding freedom. Operation and we were talking about we were talking about art. the
1: um, so um, the, we were talking about the airborne operations in Sicily. Operation Ladbrook was the uh, yeah. operation for for the Grandi Bridge. Let me just check gliders. with Barry Gregory. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it was Operation Fustian, which I think is a brilliant name. Yeah. Was, was the Primisoli. It's Fustian's
0: Primisoli, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Which is which After name. all, is, is just if you want to, you know, if you want to know what went wrong at Arnhem, look at look at what happened at Primisoli At Fustian, you know. Yeah. Half the course. Anyway. Right. Next question. Yes. Ian Strong got in touch to say, cracking pod chaps, don't know much about my granddad's war. He never talked about it ever. I do know he spent some time in Iraq. What was happening in that part of the Middle East? Yeah, well, a really interesting one. I mean, um, Iraq really sort of
1: comes to the fore in the early part of 1941. So there's lots going on in the Middle East in that period, both in Iran yeah. and, of course, in Syria. There's a war in Syria where yeah. the British, uh, largely Australians, I should add, um, yeah. the Australians capture Aleppo, for example. Um, yeah. the, the British and the um, Australians are attacking with the um, the Free French against the Vichy French. Secure that in July 1941. But before that is the um, rebellion in Iraq because um, Iraq is British protectorate, part of um, British um, interests in the Middle East. Yeah. And it is um there is uh, a king who is Faisal the Second who is a nipper. Yep. And so there is a regent who is his uncle and he's the Emir Abdul illah And there is a coup yep. by the former Prime Minister who's called Rashid Ali Al-Ghilani. And yep. Al-Ghilani ha- um organises this coup in April early part of April 1941 um and it's all a bit of a problem because of course you know all British resources are kind of tied up in boil in april they're in greece um yep. and uh, they're also in the in north africa and in, in in libya and they haven't yep. really got many resources and churchill goes well this is absolutely intolerable it is sort of uh, um uh, Al Al is given nominal backing by Germany. They send yeah. over a few Luftwaffe planes, and actually the re- rebels then promptly shoot down the son of Field Marshal Blomberg as his command. So they don't kind of they don't yeah they don't win win too many points on that one. But Churchill then goes to Wavell and Orkla and says look you know what can you do about this? And and Wavell goes well we haven't we really got anything? And and Wavell goes well yeah no we've got something. So he sends over a brigade of the 10th Indian Division who then yep. land at Basra. Um, meanwhile um, there is RAF Habaniya, um which yep. um, Al-Gailani's men his rebels try and take and capture because you know capture the airfield and there is um, that's RAF Iraq is uh, commanded by a chap called Air Vice Marshal Harry Smart and yep. he's got about a thousand ground crew air crew and stuff operating at um, RAF Habanaya um, and he gets them together and he also rounds up 1200 Iraqi and Assyrian levies, and the yep. rebels attack and they hold them off, they see them off yep. completely. Um, and they give them a bloody nose. And meanwhile, um, the Indians have landed at Basra and march up and capture Fallujah. Um, yeah. so it's all the same old places, yeah.
0: yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. at the
1: very end of basically, it's all over by the kind of about 19th of May. I think Fallujah falls on the 19th of May, 1941. Um, and then Al Gailani then flees to Iran um uh, uh, and there's another sort of insurrection in iran which is promptly squashed as well so then he flees to italy um, yeah. and later on in the war he does actually get an audience with hitler interestingly enough but wow. but that's the end of it and thereafter is no more problem but one of the people that cut their teeth and um uh later on in iran of course is is slim
0: yeah 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 having yeah. done his stint mean, in um, the, uh, in and East then, africa and then what happens in and then what happens in persia because uh, it's not i mean we after all, we're talking about Iran here. There's no such place. Um, uh, yeah. Persia. Then, the, the, when Barbarossa happens, the Soviets step in, and, they, and there's a sort of co um, co-occupation yes, of Persia by the British and the and with Russians. the Indian army, with using the Indian army, but by the Russians yep. and the and and the, and the British to keep the lid on that because it's just too oil-wise. The whole pl- the whole region is just too important. Um, to 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 let it um, fall it either into insurrection or um, well it's, or... it's it's
1: it's the it's the plus one minus one thing. So yeah. if 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 Germany gets gets to the Middle East, not only do they deny oil to us, they gain the oil themselves. Yeah. And the whole yeah. point, of course, is that the Germany doesn't have any oil apart from what they get from Plesti in, in Romania. Yeah. So it's very yeah. important. In fact, actually, the oil in the Middle East, is everyone always sort of thinks, assumes it's, it's absolutely vital for British war effort. It isn't. It's, it's vital for maintaining the war effort in the Middle East, but it yeah. doesn't supply any British oil. You know, Britain gets all its wartime oil from Venezuela and from, from yeah. the USA, who are the two yeah. leading oil producers in the world in the 1940s. Yeah. So the Middle East is comparatively small beer. Um, but it's very important that the Germans don't get their hands on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yes, more important than us losing it in a way
0: because that, because it's not until the very end of the war that, that, that um, the Saudis, for instance, are buttered up by the Americans and and their oil starts heading in America's direction. I mean that, that's all that's all postwar. Right. And our oil post-war. Pic- Our oil picture, the way we view the world in terms of oil, um, it, it is, is is essentially wrong. Uh, and it's uh, one of those examples of w- when people look at Germany now and go, "The Germans are brilliant, and efficient, and all that sort of thing," and then they pro- back project it onto Nazi Germany. Um, th- yeah, that's one of those anachronistic ways of looking at uh, 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 the that exactly global that. picture that you know that you can get wrong. And the oil picture is very cause the, because because the, the oil's needed basically for the Burm... because we lose Burmese oil that it's used needed for the effort out of India into Burma, bit basically, isn't it? And to keep that going, yep. r- rather than. Out the, the the British home front or the war in Western Europe or whatever. The Middle Eastern oil fields aren't online the way they are now at this point in, no,
1: in, in history. No, absolutely not. But what is also really interesting is, is a lot of that, that you know, there's quite a lot of activity going on in the Middle East in 1941. And 1941 has always seen as this kind of sort of dark year for Britain. Um, and, and I think that's completely dictated by, you know, failure in Greece, loss of Crete, um, being kicked back in the desert. Yeah. Um, rather than any kind of real wider knowledge because actually uh, as we've talked about before you know in the battle of the atlantic actually we get to a point by may 1941 where we're no longer going to lose the battle of the atlantic Um, i'm still very serious but but you know we're definitely you know the tide has turned there so that's a massive tick because the battle of the atlantic is i think you know one can argue and argue convincingly the most important theater in the whole of the second world war and then you've got the most important campaign yeah yeah yeah, uh, and, and that sort, and then you've got the whole of going. You've got the whole of East Africa, which is you know works in our favor. Then you've got the whole clearing up of Iraq and Iran and, and Syria and and all that sort of stuff, all of which are not massive operations, but are significant operations. Um, yeah. And actually, coming on the you know, Syria is really important because it comes on the back of the fall of Crete. So Crete falls you know at the end of end of May, um, nineteen forty one, a month before the Germans invade the Soviet Union and and, and yep. you can argue that that is you know the people who come out best out of Crete actually is the British rather than the rather than the Germans because the losses that the Germans suffer in Crete is absolutely enormous um, yeah. And, and it comes and it's and it involves a huge diversion of resources just at a point where they absolutely can't afford it. Yeah. it's entirely. Yeah, and they lose. Entirely. Not only do they lose lots of Falcon they also lose yeah. lots of transport planes. Yeah, it's entirely and, Pyrrhic. Yeah, um, exactly. And then in July, we then capture key airfields in Syria, which we are then able to use for the rest of war And 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 and. Alexandria and Egypt are equidistant between those airfields in Crete and those airfields that we've just been captured in, in Syria. So as an offensive air base for the Germans, Crete is neutralised by those those um, yeah. the, the, those gains that the British um, yeah. make in the summer of
0: 1941. Yeah. There we go. So it's actually quite important. So there you go. It's incredibly, it's very important, Ian, and uh, that's, I I hope that's helped answer your question about your granddad's war. Now, Jermaine got in touch with this. Love the show. For the ladies, what impact did the female workforce have on the services? Did it have an impact on the male servicemen when the ladies were also conscripted? Thanks, chaps, from one of the lady listeners.
1: Yeah, it did. And it's one of those, uh, again, it's one of those sort of great revolutions that takes place in the war where everything just gets... Turned on its head, and and actually, and the, the Subscription Act Number Two, which gets um, passed in December 1941, sees conscription for women. Now, yeah. to start off with, it's only age 20 to 30, single or childless widows that are eligible yeah. to um, uh, eligible to uh, be conscripted, um, and that's then raised up to the age of 37. Um, and that people are encouraged to volunteer from about I think it's April 1941. In total, it's just under yeah. half uh, half a million women serving the armed forces, 467,000 in mm. actual fact. So it's a it's a good number. But to start off with, there's all sorts of problems because you, you can when you when you get conscripted, then you then have a choice as whether you want to go into one of the armed services, the ATS or something yeah. like that, or REN or, or 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 as a WAF in the in the air force, or, or to do civilian or, or industry work or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or coastal defense or whatever so you can choose um uh, you can vo- you know, and if you're going to be in the combat zone such as you know an anti-aircraft battery working on searchlights or something like that um then again you have to volunteer to that you're not going to be conscripted to be in the front line but of course a lot of the places where women get get involved are on the land but also in industry and where mm. most of the industrial heartland is, is in the Midlands and in the Northeast and stuff. And that involves a lot of movement of people. So yeah. you've got this huge logistical headache of where do you get all these women from? And you then have to move them and you have to find them digs and you have to get them there and you have to feed them because there aren't enough women in that category in those areas. So there's yeah. a lot of mobility going on as well, which is completely changing um, the whole fabric of society so it's really really interesting but yeah. no but no competence as such in uh no women competence as such
0: yes it's not like it's not like the soviets where there are women fighting fight, fighting in fighting units and all that sort of thing yeah i mean the the thing the thing with the i mean again the thing with the second world war and you know we talked about this the other day about the the parallels that can be drawn um with with, yeah. with the with what's happening now. And, you know, and, and there, there there, are many, but there are, also, but there are also arguably none, you know, because our society is so completely different. The actual parallel is the totality of involvement for the population. So, yes, what the, the big exactly changes, that. the big changes in the workplace for women that obviously you get this, you get this because men are conscripted because men need to go to work. You then get a squeeze on. On needing to fill factory places, women needed needed for for important war work, and a, and a lot of it's a repeat of the First World War. You know, when you had, when you had um, munitions factories that were, were were basically essentially all women, and women living together in, kind of. In kind of barracks, working on those factories and just living their lives doing that. And so you get some stuff that happens in the First World War, but obviously attitudes are twenty years later. They've got people on a different view of war and what it should involve. And then you have, and then you have, the Blitz. So the I, the, the notion that the population is actually on the receiving end rather than simply sending an army somewhere to fight. you, yeah. you know, it, it's the totality of it, and that 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 I think is that's really interesting. And obviously. Women, women have more money to spend suddenly, and all this sort of yes. thing. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: That that goes that goes through society, and uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, um, I mean, as ever, what we've done is drifted a little from the the, the, the question because I don't I don't know that it had an impact on the ma- on male servicemen when women were conscripted, but but conscription was in, was an incredibly um, contentious thing politically, the thing politicians really finger crept towards and didn't want to do. And in most of the, in many, of the, most of the dominions didn't, so you know, yep. it's it's they, they couldn't do it in Canada, even though they were running out of people. For instance, towards the end of the war, there they, was a major political crisis about about conscription in in Canada. For instance, it's fascinating, and the, and then you you know you've also got this thing of fit women women, for instance, the air auxiliary, um, you know, delivering Spitfires and Lancasters and all this sort of stuff. Why can't women fight? Why can't they right. fight? Why can't they be fighter yep. pilots? Why can't they be bomber pilots? You know, and that that's a that's a you know that was never going to happen in Britain. Happened in the Soviet Union. I mean, like like I said a moment ago, yeah. Didn't and, and
1: women did put themselves on the front line. I mean, obviously yeah. you're in the front line because because you're being bombed, and so you know the front yeah. line comes to the homes and all the rest of it. But they were putting on themselves on the front line as well. I mean, there were there were yeah. a number of ATS, you know, auxiliary pilots who were, who yeah. got killed in accidents, and yeah. you know, there's a. I, I remember Keith Miller, the cricketer. He witnesses a, a, a female. Um, pilot coming in with a Lancaster and it crashes and explodes and you know Jeez. that's that's the end of her yeah. and then of course there's famously there's Daphne Pearson um mm. and that's one of my favorite paintings um of of all time from the second world war by Dame Laura Knight it's a very very famous picture because she wins the the GC the George Cross she's a corporal in the in in the RAF uh, and a, and an RAF Anson crash lands and um uh, and she um, and, and a bomb that it's carrying explodes and, and the, the plane's on fire and she runs up to it un- gets clambers into the burning fuselage, gets the pilot out, Amazing. runs with him. The whole thing explodes when they're, I don't know, 40 yards, 30 yards. Just from clear the, of from it. Yeah. And she dives on top of the pilot to protect him. I mean, it's it's just. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, for, as far as I'm concerned, she should, get, she should have got the VC,
0: but she gets the G C which is I suppose. Well a civilian isn't she, so I suppose. Anyway. So no, there she's, we go. Not. We, she's, a, she's a, wife, a she's wife. Not a honest. wife. She's she's a wife, right? Well, yeah, then she's been sorely robbed. Well, um I think that that's that's enough for today. We try we yeah, probably. pretty much stayed on subject, James. Well done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I a little bit.
0: As always, <laughs> um, we're what we're going to be uh, by the way, this is another chapter of uh, the Zeno's The Cauldron each day, um, in which the author yep. heidi- heavily editorializes about what went wrong with Operation Market Garden and has people standing uh, crouched in cellars arguing about tactical and operational misgivings that they had all along. Um, I mean, it, 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 that's a book, it's a fantastic read. It's laced with hindsight, though, you could argue. Um, now, what we're going to try to do, um, and we're uh, we're grappling with the technology at the moment, dear listeners, try and do a thing where you can watch us t- talk to each other from uh, uh, offices um, and send us questions while we're doing it. We've got, we're trying to get the tech straight. There will be an announcement on our Twitter feed um, at WeHaveWaysPod, which will let you know that we're attempting this live thing. What I don't want to do is say now when we're going to do it in case we can't get the technology right. Because the last thing we want to do is dangle you such a, an enticing sweetmeat and then have to deny you it.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the plan, isn't it? And we're hopefully that's going to be plan. doing that once a week.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and we're lining up another book for me to read once Zeno has... Um, uh, I can't tell you what happens at the end of that. Uh, it can constitute spoiler to tell you what happened at the end of the Battle of Arnhem. Um, anyway, uh, it's been a pleasure as ever. Nice talking to you, James. See you soon. Cheerio. Yeah. Cheers. Cheerio, everyone.